Hi, this is Bill Arnold. Missed a show or need me talking to help you sleep tonight? I have several solutions to that situation. Here are the podcasts from the show. You are the best for listening and supporting Faith Radio. Afternoons with me. I'm Bill Arnold. It's going to be a wonderful day. As you know, I always love it when Dr. Mark Muska comes in. He'll be in hour two, so get your questions ready because, uh, you know, it's you've got some passage of Scripture that you just came across or you've been wrestling with for weeks, months, years. Let us know what it is. We will uh, do our best to address it. Get the questions in whenever you feel like at 877-933-2484. And I hope you're reading through the book of Luke with us. If you are, we're on chapter 17. And I was thinking about Luke, and, you know, it's really nice to know that your doctor cares. I mean, even if your doctor doesn't know what is wrong or what to do, it's just being really concerned is always good medicine, isn't it? And it seems like Luke was a, a kind of the, that person of compassion, although I don't know what, we don't know a ton about his life. He left a, an impression of himself by how he wrote. I mean, in the gospel, he talked about Jesus, Jesus's compassion, and he re, re vividly recorded um, both the power that was demonstrated in, by Jesus's life and the care with which Jesus treated people. What a great reminder, just how are we caring and treating people that we have in our world? All right, we've got a great first hour coming up as well. Rob Louie, the executive editor of The Daily Signal, will be joining me. And then my friend David Wheaton will be coming on as well in the first hour. That's what is planned for the show today. I'm so glad you're with me. I can't wait. Let's take 60 seconds and be back with Rob Louie. For over a decade, I had the privilege of living with some amazing Native Americans on a reservation. Every year, the little village I lived in would hold their annual Christmas parade, and while it may not have been Macy's, it was always a blast. The young people I worked with wanted to have a float in the parade, and they chose a Charlie Brown Christmas. As we drove by the judges' platform, they read out loud what our cardboard Charlie Brown said, What is Christmas all about? You know, as the Christmas season marches on, that question still lingers. What is Christmas all about? It's not about the gifts or the decorations. As the angel said, it's about good news of great joy. A Savior is born to you. That Savior, as in rescuer. Because of what Jesus did on the cross, we can trade our guilt for his forgiveness, the hell we deserve for the heaven we could never deserve. There is no better news. There's no better time to open up to Jesus' amazing love than Christmas, and we'd love to help you do that. Connect with us at 888-NEED-HIM or chataboutjesus.com. This Christmas can be your new beginning. Welcome back to the show. I'm always looking forward on Tuesdays to talk to Rob Bluey. This will be, I believe, the last time I get a chance to talk to him in the big year of 20. 192020 is going to be a huge year. Uh, Rob, welcome back to the show. Thanks, Bill. It's great to be back. Yes, and 2020 we'll have a pres- presidential election, and that uh, will be a busy year for our country, won't it? 
Well, it certainly will, and we'll start right out of the gate with uh, with presidential primaries and caucuses. So, of course, this will uh, captivate the nation, I'm sure, as uh, as it did four years ago. Uh, this is always a time when I think people take a heightened interest in uh, in policy and in uh, political debates, um, which I think is a good thing to have that civic engagement. So, I look forward to uh, having many conversations, Bill, with you about uh, what's happening in Washington and all around this great country. Mm-hmm. Uh, Dennis Prager had a pretty interesting take on why he thought the three reasons the left doesn't like Christmas. And of course, that article is up on the Daily Signal. You can go to dailysignal.com to read it. Uh, Pretty interesting article. Yes. Well, you know, it's, I'm glad you brought it up because, I mean, it's that time of year when we should be having these types of conversations. And there are a multitude of reasons why I think, uh, you know, people have, have taken opposition to Christmas. I mean, I think, uh, you know, f- fundamentally, personally, my own, my own belief is that as we've seen our culture move away uh, from religion, uh, you know, they naturally uh, want to disassociate anything to do with, uh, with Jesus and the miracle of his birth. And everything else that uh, that followed. So, I mean, there are a number of reasons uh, for that. So, I mean, one of the things that uh, that I think is um, is, is prominent in in uh, Prager's piece is that uh, you know you have this debate going on uh, among secular population in the United States, people who uh, may identify as atheists or or others who. Um, you know, view uh, you know other forms of, uh, of of politics as as a form of religion, and you know I I think that it's uh, it's 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 sad. I mean, I think that one of the things, the great things about Christianity is uh, its ability to bring people together for a good cause, and all of the wonderful things, particularly this time of year, where people uh, are doing uh, phenomenal things. I I know that I I see it every time I I pass the bell ringer uh, from the Salvation Army and uh, at the store, and think about all the people in need who that person. Person is helping, or all those who come together uh, at various uh, nonprofit organizations to make sure that uh, children are, are, you know, um, at this time of the year, being loved and celebrated in ways that uh, they unfortunately may not have uh, the support system throughout the other times of the year. So, Bill, it's really important that we uh, we continue to, to focus on the true meaning of Christmas and and push back on those who uh, who don't necessarily uh, like it. Yeah, I know that the the, the left seems to have a lot of. Uh initiatives to try to uh, squash Christian values and Christian ideals. And I know they seem to thumb their, push their thumb in the eye of God on occasion, uh, like in that occasion is quite often when it comes to, this is what I think uh, the, the world should be like, and this is no longer a sin. And they, they have their own agenda. Well, they do, and and I think you know one thing that Prager said that stood out to me is that and I'll just quote him here. You know, quote the left understands that the more people believe in Christianity, the less chance the left has to gain power. I mean, it's so true uh, because they don't necessarily want people to be independent thinkers, and I think that that's the thing about Christianity that. Um, and, and other religions, frankly, that, uh, you know, it does really empower. I mean, let's face it, this is what this country was founded on. I mean, this is why religious liberty and religious freedom is so crucial and important to our nation's history and will continue to be so in the future. It's why so many organizations, uh, and the Daily Signal in particular, decide to devote so much coverage to that issue. It's because we think that it's fundamental uh, to who we are as a people. So, yes, uh, you're absolutely correct. It, it is, uh, it is a, a fight that we're in, unfortunately. I, I wish that uh, we weren't. Uh, you know, and I think our country would frankly be better off if if we all uh, didn't, uh, you know, not necessarily 
abandon religion as we seem to, as polls that seem to indicate more and more young people are doing, but embrace it and the important qualities that it brings to you, uh, to your family, and uh, and to, to your fellow citizens, frankly, in, in creating a better world for everyone. Mm-hmm. So, Rob, um, last week with the decisive victory of uh, Boris Johnson and his conservative party, did that send a signal to America in terms of uh, how far the left has gone and do they need to move back into closer to the center? Well, I, I certainly do think it sent a signal, and I think that just like Brexit sent a signal to the United States in advance of President Trump's election, uh, yes, this very much could send uh, and have a different meaning for those who uh, who want to take this country in, in a different, more socialist direction. Of course, you had the leader of the Labour Party in the United Kingdom, uh, Jeremy Corbyn, who was an avowed socialist, somebody who wanted to radically transform that, uh, that culture in the UK. And I think, uh, as he admitted, I mean, they were soundly rejected in, in that pursuit. Uh, obviously, Brexit played a big role in this, um, and that is a, a factor. I think there was a frustration that this is a country that voted uh, several years ago to move forward with Brexit, and you had politicians and a political class that simply were standing in the way of the will of the people. And so uh, there were a number of issues involved, but I do think uh, the campaign on the part of those who believe in socialism uh, was was rejected. And I, I frankly don't know that it, the message has gotten through to politicians here in the United States yet, but I think as people start to cast votes uh, in uh, in some of these presidential primaries, you might start to see a trend in a certain direction. And uh, and won't it be interesting uh, to see how that plays out? Mm-hmm. Very interesting article that John Stossel wrote, uh, Rob, in the Daily Signal. And let me just uh, quote something he said here. We can't pay off our increasing debt. I mean, we're, we're looking at $23 trillion in debt. And he said, unless we're willing to tell the government to stop stationing soldiers in 80 countries, stop sending checks to poor people and old people and stop paying for free health care for people like me. <laughs> and and it's, it's uh, quite timely that you bring that up because, of course, today the U.S. Congress is debating another spending bill, which is a budget-busting uh, spending bill, which uh, our, our lobbying organization, Heritage Action, has uh, decided to key vote against uh, because of the concerns that they have about the future debt that it, it imposes on uh, generations to come. So, you know, it is one of those things, just as John Stossel said, that we are we, we find ourselves in a situation where we have to make tough choices as as a government. And so far, the politi- political leaders in Washington don't seem to want to do that. In fact, they like and prefer to have these year-end spending deadlines just days before Christmas because it's the hardest time to get people to engage. Think about how busy Americans are right now, and how, and they don't want to be focused on what's necessarily going on in Congress. This is why the fiscal year debate should be taking place at the end of September before the year begins in October. Well, what they do is they punt these things until the end of the year so people aren't paying attention and they can try to ram through, sneak through at the last minute uh, deals like the ones that they've negotiated today. So these are mat to massive bills. One of them funds our military, the other one our homeland security, the other one domestic priorities, and that's where the problems lie. Uh, there are a number of issues uh, at stake here. And and frankly, uh, what John Stossel is talking about even goes beyond the year-to-year spending, because what he's talking about is the need to tackle some of the entitlement spending. Well, let's face it, Bill, uh, we have a president who has said he's not going to uh, go down that path. So I don't think you're going to necessarily see anything change with regard to uh, <laughs> to payments for um, for Medicare, Medicaid, or Social Security. I mean, that is a, a problem that you'll have to, to tackle years from now uh, for, for others who aren't going to be directly affected by it because it's so difficult to get anything done. Mm-hmm. 
Rob Louie is my guest, executive editor of The Daily Signal. Go to dailysignal.com. We'll take a little break, and we'll be right back with Rob in just a minute. glad to talk to Rob Bluey, the executive editor of The Daily Signal. And Rob, you've been such a faithful guest uh, throughout the year. I just want to say uh, thank you in the biggest way I know how, just to uh, tell you how much I appreciate you and The Daily Signal and all of the people that work there. And when you have not been able to come on, you've you've been uh, nice enough to have someone come and also do the show as well. So I just appreciate that very much. Well, thank you, Bill. We have a, a great team here at the Daily Signal. You know, we celebrated our fifth anniversary this year, and uh, I think, uh, <laughs> you know, it's when one of those things where when we launched down this path in 2014, we didn't quite know where it was going to take us, but we felt that there was a need that we were filling. We felt that there was news and information uh, that was not reaching the American people, and we could play a role, just like Faith Radio does in the work that you do. And uh, there was an audience out there who obviously found it interesting and has stuck with us, so we're grateful for them as well. And I'd say that the mission that we've had back uh, in 2014 continues to be the mission we have today. We want to tell those human uh, interest stories about how people's lives are being affected by public policy, some good, some bad, and uh, to inform the American people in ways that they can uh, hopefully make life better for their neighbors and their friends and their families. So we continue to strive uh, down that path, and uh, we'll um, – We'll continue to enjoy this relationship we've developed with Faith Radio. Whether I can be on or a colleague, it's a, it's a great opportunity to uh, to share with more people. Well, I insist you, I insist you you on that. I want you on all the time. <laughs> great. Yeah. So, just given what's going on in our nation's capital right now with the hearings and everything else, tell me what the what the tone is. What what is the the feeling of what's going on in Washington right now? Well, there's certainly, uh, you know, uh, an interesting environment because at the same time that you have impeachment, of course, uh, Mm -hmm. as I just mentioned uh, prior to the break, you have a situation where Republicans and Democrats came together uh, to to have this budget-busting spending bill. And, of course, they're going to come together and uh, pass the U.S.-Mexico-Canada trade agreement. So uh, it's quite – it might be confusing to some listeners to to understand how, on the one hand, they can – uh, things can be so divisive, and on the other hand, they can accomplish, uh, you know, something as big as this trade agreement. Um, so that is just the life of Washington uh, these days, uh, where on the one hand, you're maybe attending a Christmas party with the White House, and then the next minute, you're uh, voting to impeach the president. Um, but that's, uh, that's unfortunately the situation we find ourselves in. I think personally, on the issue of impeachment, I mean, it's, uh, it's going to be one of those things that I think in the long run, the Democrats will regret, just as I think some Republicans probably regret uh, impeaching Bill Clinton. Now, whether or not you, 
you, there are some people who say don't even equate this, the two situations. But looking historically at the facts, I mean, the Republicans uh, ended up losing seats in the next two elections, and it took them a while to recover uh, from from that situation because the American people, I think, wanted them focused on getting the work done that they sent the lawmakers in Washington to do, not necessarily to be uh, having a political um, uh, uh, rebuke of this president. And so we shall see how things ultimately play out. But like I say, it is certainly an interesting time to be alive and to be living in Washington. Mm -hmm. Rob, when you think over the year 2019, can you think of a couple of stories in particular that really stuck with you? Well, uh, yes. I mean, uh, certainly... (laughs) Uh, what we, I mean, the most, re- I, I'd be remiss if I didn't talk about, uh, you know, what we're, what we're encountering right now. Right. So, I mean, we, um, I don't think I, I ever expected to live through or cover at the Daily Signal an impeachment. Um, I was still in college the last time the, uh, the, the Congress voted to impeach presidents. So, I mean, this uh, very much was a, a first time experience in, in, in my life. And, uh, and I think will uh, we'll be remembered as one of the most significant stories of 2019. Um, but I think that there's a lot of other things, a lot of other good things that, that happened this year. Um, I mean, seeing people come together as, as a community to help out after Hurricane Dorian. I mean, the all, I'm always so touched by those people who make sacrifices uh, in those communities that are hardest hit and uh, to help their, their neighbors in a time of need. Um, those stories often go untold. Seems like we t- spend a lot of time talking about how the aid money didn't get to a certain place in time, or climate change caused a storm. But that what gets overlooked are are those uh, are those true lasting uh, interactions between uh, between people. Um, and then I think the other the other thing is we tend to focus so much on the bad news, uh, you know, whether it's with celebrities or whether it's with politicians. We tend to, uh, you know, maybe look, overlook some of the good news as well. And so we've tried to tell stories about how our economy is booming and helping people do things that may n- not have otherwise been able to do. Uh, perhaps giving, uh, you know, a little bit extra to Faith Radio this year or the Daily Signal, uh, you know, through a charitable donation to take that long-awaited family vacation that, that, you know, the kids have never been able to go on. So those are some of the things and the benefits I think we get we get when we pass sound economic policies, when we reduce regulation on, on businesses, when we really let small businesses thrive and flourish. And so uh, it's those stories that I hope to be telling more of as we head into 2020, because I think really uh, people can be inspired and maybe themselves uh, seek to do things that uh, can be transformational in their own lives and help others in their community. You know, Rob, the, the small business person in America is kind of in a place where they're when you have fewer restrictions and you can do more hiring um, and when the economy feels a little bit better, uh, the world and, and everything seems a little bit happier, doesn't it? Oh, it certainly does. Yeah. I mean, uh, I, look, I, I remember being in a situation where um, 10 years ago, of course, uh, we, uh, we were confronting still the, the recession and, uh, and trying to pull ourselves out of that. You had a very different president in the White House at that time. It was pursuing uh, policies that didn't really um, revive the economy in the way that uh, President Trump did from that, that very day he was, was elected in November of 2016. And so, yes, I do think that the, the enthusiasm that I hear uh, from small business owners and others who are creating jobs for Americans is truly inspirational. In fact, uh, we were over at the Treasury Department just today talking about the second anniversary of the Tax Cuts and Jobs Act, which uh, will be on Sunday. And I, I, I heard from so many of the participants at that event 
about how there are actually more job openings today than they have people who can fill them, whether it's in the manufacturing sector or whether it's in the service industry, you name it. Um, there are endless opportunities available for people if they want to pursue them. That's uh, that's really good news. I, I love hearing that. And as you're coming up on uh, your own Christmas uh, family celebration, how is your family? I always like to check up on the boys and the little girl, Savannah the boys Grace. The, this will be baby's first Christmas, of course. Savannah will uh, will have uh, have her celebration and the boys as well. Uh, we, you know, we have a tradition in, in our house. Um, my on my mother's side of the family uh, comes from uh, from Poland originally. Immigrated from Poland, uh, my great grandparents did, and uh, they at the at the family homestead in upstate New York would always celebrate a traditional Polish Christmas Eve uh, Wigilia, and we'd have our our kapusta and pierogies and borscht <laughs> and other uh, Polish foods. So yeah. we've carried on that tradition in Virginia. <laughs> <laughs> as best we can uh, using my uh, my uh, family's recipes. So we will be doing that on Christmas Eve, Bill, and uh, and hopefully having a wonderful celebration with family. And then do you uh, do your gift exchange uh, Christmas Eve or Christmas morning? What what family tradition has stuck at the Bluey household? Oh, Christmas morning for us. That's the that's the uh, the, the family tradition. And uh, and of course, we, usually what we do is we go to uh, the Christmas Eve service at church. And uh, come home, have the the Polish feast. <laughs> uh, maybe do a present uh, on Christmas yeah. Eve. But yes, we save most of them for for Christmas Day. And I look forward to being able to spend time uh, with uh, with my parents. Uh, we're we're going to take uh, take the baby home to meet all of the relatives that she hasn't had a chance to uh, to be introduced to yet. So it's a very special Christmas for our family. Yeah, that's sweet. When we were kids, we opened our Christmas gifts. On Christmas Eve, so all the toys could be fully broken by Christmas morning. <laughs> well, that's another way to do it. You know, we had one of those incidents last year where my son opened up uh, a, a present and within about 10 minutes, <laughs> you know, it had broken. So, you know, this is what you get when you have two boys. <laughs> that's true. That's true. Well, Rob, uh, Merry Christmas to you and your family, and thank you so much uh, for coming on the show today and uh, every week. So appreciate it. Merry Christmas, Bill, to you and to all of the listeners out there from Faith Radio. We appreciate it. That's I very much appreciate that. Rob Bluey has been my guest, executive editor of The Daily Signal. Go to dailysignal.com. We'll take a short break and be right back. You're listening to the Faith Radio Network. Faith Radio is a media outreach of University of Northwestern in St. Paul. Our mission is to lead people to Christ and nurture believers in their faith through Christ-centered media. Tune in anytime to hear relevant Bible preaching from Chuck Swindoll, Rick Warren, James McDonald, David Jeremiah, Colin Smith, and many more. Listen to family-focused teaching from Dennis Rainey and Family Life Today, Jim Daly, and Focus on the Family, and other great programs on Faith Radio. that Rob Bluey. What a great gift he is to the listeners here and to me at Faith Radio. I sure enjoy him. You can go to dailysignal.com to learn more about Rob and his great staff. We're going to have David Wheaton join us in just a couple of minutes, and then hour two is going to be Dr. Mark Muska. And of course, that segment is called Ask Mark Tough Questions or Ask the Professor. He's the professor of biblical studies here at University of Northwestern. If you've got a question about the Bible, like I do, I've already got a couple lined up to get them started, but I want your questions as well. 
You can send them to 877-933-2484. That's our text line. So I'll give it to you again, 877-93-FAITH, 877-933-2484. Be right back with David Wheaton. forward to talking to David Wheaton. He is the host of The Christian Worldview. You can go to the website, thechristianworldview.org. David, nice to have you back on the show. Well, it's good to be with you today, Bill. Thank you so much. All right, I saw this, and I know you're a fan of Alistair Begg, as am I. I saw this Mm -hmm. on his website that 51% of Americans say the Bible was written for each person to interpret as he or she chooses. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) <laughs> that that actually makes a lot of sense for why we are where we are in our country today, where that n- another way of uh, saying that is everyone does, does what is right in their own eyes. Yeah, that's a, a biblical passage. I can't remember where it comes from uh, off the top of my head here, but uh, that is the case. And um, it, it's been said, and you've probably heard this said, that the most important thing about a person is their view of God. Mm-hmm. And if you think you can just make it up as you were just saying in that quote, um, life is going to be lived very differently than someone who pays very close attention to who God is and what he expects as revealed in his word. Well, you've got no one contradicting your will when you are deciding what makes you comfortable and what makes you uncomfortable or what you feel is relevant and what you feel is irrelevant in today's society. That That's exactly right. Um, you know, that, I think that really explains where the country is today if you think about theology, as we, we talk about our topic today, theology determines your morality. It's sort of an obvious thing. You would think it's a truism, right? It's just, mm-hmm. it's just evidently true because theology, what is that? That's the study of the nature of God. It's about you know, who is God and what is he like and what does God want from me? And if you get that wrong, that affects everything about you. It affects the way you think. It affects what you say. It affects how you, you act or live in life. And so that does explain what we are going on, what's going on today in our society. You know, our, the problems that I think most Christians see in our society today are, are definitely not political, that that's downstream from a faulty theology or just an incorrect understanding of God or an outright rejection of God. So it's, we often get easily focused on the political, but that's really not the issue. It really is the theological, that there's a theological either ignorance or there's just a willful rejection of who God is and what he intends for us. Mm-hmm. David, maybe we should chat about some of the examples that we see in society today. Yeah, well, I mean, one obvious, there's so many examples, but let's just stick with one that I think has been around for many, many decades now. Let's say people living together outside of marriage. I read a article on the Biblical Counseling Coalition website, and it said, according to a recent article published by NBC News, of women ages 15 to 44 have lived with a boyfriend before turning 30, 75%. Wow. Uh, And then he goes on to say, I trust the number is similar for men. He said, sadly, in my experience doing premarital counseling for hundreds of Christian couples, I have found the percentage isn't much lower for professing believers. Okay, so there's that, that just as a backdrop that there's not much difference, really, 
at least according to this person who does a lot of biblical counseling, between um, those inside the church living together before marriage and those outside. So you take that particular issue of living together before marriage. That's a moral issue. Mm -hmm. Uh, You know, the Bible is very clear on that. It says, you know, you're not to be engaged with someone sexually outside of marriage, whether heterosexually, homosexuality, any of that. And you're also not to give the appearance or, or of evil or give make any provision for the flesh, which living together does. So some might say, well, we're living together, but we're not sleeping together. Well, you are putting yourself in a, in a, in a situation that's creating a high likelihood of making provision for your, your fallen flesh. So there's a lot of different views on this. The biblical Christian view on this would be that sex outside of marriage is disobedience to God. And even if you're living together celibately, you're making provision for the flesh, like what I just said. Well, the second view is there's more of this compromised, I'd say evangelical view today where it's, this isn't encouraged to live together before marriage, but it's certainly not rebuked. There, 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 are, no, there are very few standards for divorce anymore. The, the rate of divorce in evangelical churches is quite high, maybe not as high as regular society, but it's high. Um, these churches emphasize so much on the love of God that's emphasized and the forgiveness of God, but not so much on the fear of God or the justice or wrath of God, those kinds of things. So when there's a lack of strong biblical preaching in the church about who God is, theology, and what he expects, there's another bad theology. So therefore downstream of that, that's going to affect the way people live morally. And so there's an inability to know right from wrong. And I read an article, Bill, if I could just read just one paragraph Please. of it from an uh, online website called Pathios. You've probably heard of it. Oh, yeah. And there's a, there's a, a woman who r- wrote a column in a, in, a, in a category on this website called The Unfundamental Christian. And she was talking about the issue we're talking about today of living together before marriage. That's the example we're talking about. And she says, I'm 26 years old. I'm not married. My generation has taken a step back. We question everything. We see how traditional ways of life don't always result in the outcomes they promise. Uh, we see our parents divorcing and our gay friends and family still uh, scared to love the person they connect with most. We see minorities ignored and the outcasts of society mocked, all for the sake of preserving the status quo. And she goes on. Then she goes on to say, so is living together before marriage a sin? She says, no, I don't think so. This, again, this is a professing Christian. I simply think we're worrying about the wrong issue. If we really want to be fundamental about this, the Bible doesn't explicitly say anything about cohabiting. Therefore, we do not have clear verse to refer to even if we wanted to. Living together is not easy. I have done it before. And it ended not because it was sinful, but because we as individuals are not on the same page with what we want out of life. Uh, did you see all that throughout there? I sure did. There's the, there's the bad theology that there's nothing in Scripture about this. Um, you know, it's kind of the, our parents have set a bad example. It's lots of nibbling around the edges when the Bible is very clear about being involved sexually with someone who's not our wife or husband. So that's really the second view, the biblical Christian view, the compromised evangelical view, which we just heard from that young woman. And then, of course, you have the mainstream cultural view, which is why wouldn't you want to live with someone before you're married? I mean, to make sure you're, you're compatible. I saw a, an article on brides.com that said five undeniable benefits of living together before you tie the knot. Again, again, it's the theology. They don't have any kind of high view of God or any view of God. So why wouldn't you do this? It makes perfect sense. You get to know the person and are you compatible? And then finally, I think there's a fourth, there's a fourth view on this issue and everything else is the shake your fist at God view. 
which is, you know, blow up this Christian patriarchy that we, we see in the Bible. Whatever God has established, morality and so forth, we're going to go against that. That's not for us. And so all these things that I just mentioned, those different viewpoints, are all based on one's theology, one's understanding of the character and nature of God. And the result of that is it determines how you live morally in life. Well, you, um, you nailed that one, David. That is so true. And when the world and society that we live in is all about uh, living unbiblically, that's the message that's, that's heard all the time in magazines, movies, television. Mm-hmm. Uh, that is the constant bombardment of messages. And then there's all the peer pressure at colleges, especially if you're at a secular college. It's not that way at Christian colleges, but there is the pressure that kids feel uh, just from what they hear on campus, and it makes it very difficult. It certainly does. And I, I would actually say that Christian colleges, a lot of them, the the students probably aren't living that much differently than some of their peers at secular colleges. A lot of the same things you go on. You hear this at Christian high schools. Kids are much more adept at hiding and what they're doing. But, uh, you know, we all have the same flesh that desires the same kinds of things. And unless you're you're saved and being sanctified and controlled by the Holy Spirit, you can't put a cap on your flesh. Uh, you, it, it just keeps on growing and growing and growing, and eventually it's going to bear its way out. And so this is why it's so incredibly important that we have not only start with a good theology, it's not just enough to think the right way if you just have the right accurate view of God, but you also must be truly saved and be being controlled and led by the Holy Spirit. You can't do this on your own. So it starts with the right theology. It continues with being uh, subservient, surrendering to the Holy Spirit inside of you, surrendering, obeying what the Word says. And then downstream of that, your morality will reflect that theology. Mm-hmm. David Wheaton is my guest. He is the host of The Christian Worldview. You can go to thechristianworldview.org. We're going to take a little break. When we come back, I want to ask David about what does it mean to have a high view of God, and that's something that um, not a lot of people seem to have nowadays. We'll take a short break and be right back. Welcome back to the show. I'm always glad to talk to David Wheaton, my friend. He is a speaker and an author and an all-around wonderful, godly man who I admire, and he's younger than me, so there you go. 
He's the host of The Christian Worldview. Go to thechristianworldview.org to learn more about David and his powerful ministry. David, let's talk about uh, having a high view of God. Our world today doesn't have a high view of God, and it seems that even followers of Christ need to improve their view of God. Yeah, a high view of God basically means that you view God for who he is, the the sovereign creator, the awesome, just God of this universe that is so big and so much beyond us. He's not your buddy. He's not the man upstairs. Right. That's a low view of God. Yeah, I agree. A high view of God is what you see in Scripture when anyone encounters God in Scripture, whether it's Moses on the mountain getting the Ten Commandments or anywhere. Anytime God appears, people are on their faces in abject terror mm-hmm. uh, and bowing, can't even look at him. That, that's a high view of God. And so when we accurately interpret Scripture and understand all the character and nature of God, not, not just one side, so often today, at least in America— the one side of God that God is love, and he is absolutely God of love, that he loves, and then it goes from there to God loves unconditionally, which is not true. I mean, you can't continue to reject God and and die. God will stop loving you unconditionally at that point. There is a condition that you you must repent and believe in the gospel, or else you'll be judged, the Bible says. So we get some of these phrases in our mind that God is love, God loves unconditionally, God doesn't judge, that side is so emphasized, or it's inaccurately presented, like God's you know, love is unconditional, but never the other side of Scripture that 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 other, other side of God that Scripture emphasizes that He's a God of holiness. That that's actually the, His first and foremost quality above all. You'll you hear that quality emphasized. We never in Scripture is God said you know uh, love, 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 but God is called holy, holy, holy. Mm-hmm. That particular attribute of God is the one that's repeated. That's that's the sum of all his attributes is his holiness. That's what makes him most different from us. We're made in the image of God, right? Mm-hmm. But the biggest difference between us and God is his holiness. He is holy and we are not. And so the love of God gets emphasized. The fear of God does not. And so I think a really important passage to 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 remember as we talk about how theology determines your morality is that 2 Timothy 2.15, be diligent, means there's effort here required, be diligent to present yourself approved to God as a workman who does not need to be ashamed, accurately handling the word of truth. So when you accurately handle the word of truth, when you get into the word, when you understand how to interpret the word, when you're being impacted by the soundest Bible teachers, then you're going to have an accurate view of God. You're going to understand, yeah, yes, God is love, but God is also to be feared, to revered, to be revered, uh, to be obeyed, that he's both. There's two sides of the same coin. There's, there's a heads that God is love. And there's a tails that God is full of wrath for those who, who reject him and disobey him. And so to have that balance is how we developed, back to your question, how we develop a high view of God. Is the Proverbs 16 says, by loving kindness and truth, sin is atoned for. And by the fear of the Lord, one keeps away from evil. So if you want to keep away from evil or sin in your life, you need to have a fear of the Lord, understanding that God is always watching and weighing everything mm-hmm. we're doing. And, and he is the one that's omniscient. It means he knows all. He's omnipresent. He's everywhere. Um, he's the one we're accountable to. And when you have that correct theology, that then should trickle down into how you live morally. David, let's talk about how fundamentally flawed this idea is, where someone might say common sense drives morality. <laughs> yeah, 
the, I, I, they always laugh at that one. You'll hear that one said a lot. Well, we need to work for the common good or Ooh. it's just it's just common sense. Well, common to whom? <laughs> that all depends on what, what your basis is. You know, if for one person, common sense might mean, um, well, I'll, just, I'll give you an example of this, Bill. I was reading about an, an ELCA pastor's wife recently. They were featured at the, um, I think, the summer convention. I, well, maybe it was the youth convention. It's a very, very large convention of the Evangelical Lutheran Church of America. And one of the pastor's wives, um, their son— believes that he is a girl and 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 the mother the pastor's wife is all on board with this and so she wrote a post on Facebook now you can just see to her the transition so to speak of her son to try to be a, a girl is common sense but it's not when you compare that common sense to what scripture says it's pure out not common sense it's pure out rejection of God and his word so she said today Rebecca that's the name of her son and had her second surgical procedure to place a hormone-blocking implant in her arm to prevent her from progressing farther into puberty. Hmm. And then she goes on to say this. This is one example of what medically appropriate, medically necessary, life-affirming, and often literally life-saving treatment looks like for a transgender child. Now, to her, this is purely common sense. This is working for the common good, right. to use that expression. But the reality is that you compare what she's saying to what the Bible says, that God made us in his image, he makes us male and female, you realize that what she's saying is her theology is is way off. She's not doesn't have an accurate understanding of who God is, and so therefore she's making moral decisions for a, a child. I mean, brutal. I mean, giving medications to a child, I mean, this is very serious stuff. And you see how that downstream here affects the way she she seeks treatment for her her son. Mm-hmm. Boy, that's so unbelievable. You know, even when you think about um, the word conscience, which is you know, con would be with, and science mm-hmm. would be knowledge. So it's mm-hmm. what what is your knowledge? What is what are your facts? So if I'm living on with my conscience and my conscience says something that's sinful, I can't live by my conscience. That's right. And I think that's sometimes we as Christians look at others who make decisions that we know are against God's will and think, well, what's the matter with them? And I think that's where we need to have the understanding and the compassion to say, you know, when you have not been regenerated or or born, that's a big word for saying what Jesus said in John three. When you not when you haven't been born again, you know, your your the mindset in the flesh is death. Uh, Romans eight says. In other words, you're going to pursue your flesh. It's, it's it's you're just the the thoughts and the intentions that God wants for your life are not going to be what you want. And so that's why the the big turning point to changing someone's theology is not just correcting them or making them believe what we believe or trying to impose some sort of morality on the culture. That doesn't work. Um, someone's heart has to be changed. You you need to go from understanding that uh, you need to go to understanding of who God is and how He wants to be approached through the gospel, repenting and believing the gospel, and then at that point God changes you from the inside out, and all of a sudden. Once you're converted or born again, God begins to work on your inside, and you begin to understand as you read Scripture who who this God is, what is He like, what does He want from me? And when you start to have that correct theology as the Spirit guides you into that truth from His Word, 
then all of a sudden your lifestyle and your, your actions begin to change. But trying to change and live a certain way morally uh, doesn't work, really, uh, unless you have been regenerated internally. Yeah, and your highest calling in life as a believer is to be accountable to God. It is. It is. that. That's ultimately, I think, the thing that society, we, we, we most reject as people is that it's the accountability. I mean, going back to the Garden of, of, of Eden, Adam and Eve, they, they ate the fruit. What did they do? They tried to hide from God. They didn't want to be accountable to him. I mean, was that really going to work? Is it really possible to hide from God? We do everything to try to not be accountable. It's ultimately a, an authority issue. Who are we accountable to? And we try to get out from under the authority of God. Um, that only works for a short time. Mm-hmm. Everyone, the Bible says, every knee will bow, every tongue will confess uh, that Jesus Christ is Lord. You can either bow your knee willingly now, or you will bow your, your knee unwillingly later, but all will bow their knee that Jesus Christ is Lord. And uh, I, I just am so thankful that God opened my eyes to understanding that and just the need uh, the purpose of life to be right with God and to enter into a relationship with him, not based on trying to be more religious or doing good things, but to submitting to him and to repenting of my sin and just putting my trust in who his son is. And here we are coming up to Christmas, who his son is and what he came to do to to be the substitute, to die, to take the place, my place for my sin, to pay the penalty I deserve to pay, to atone for my sin and by believing in that, that we can be right with him. And mm-hmm. so... Um, I think that's the message here. Yeah, I do too. And David, I know Christmas we get to celebrate the birth of Jesus, but we also, you and me and many others, get to celebrate the birth of your father. That's exactly right. My my dad is, Lord willing, is what is not too long from now, going to be turning, uh, let's see, he's going to be 88 on <laughs> Christmas Day. He's a he's a Christmas baby. Yeah. And uh, we're, so, we're so thankful that God still has him with us today. Yeah, it's fantastic. Uh, much love to to him and to you and your mom and your family. Um, and, you know, have a, a wonderful holiday and a Merry Christmas and I and a Happy New Year and all that. So we will uh, look forward to continuing this uh, wonderful relationship we have as brothers in Christ and also just uh, doing the radio together. This is a blast. It is, Bill. I'm so appreciative of you and your stand for the word your commitment to truth. And uh, I enjoy these interviews as well, every single, uh, every other week as we do them. <laughs> Thanks. Thanks, David. Have a Merry great, Christmas. Uh, Merry Christmas. Have a great day. David Wheaton has been my guest. You can always go over to the christianworldview.org to learn more about David. We'll take a short break and we will be right back. Hi, I'm Ted Ross with a Faith in Life Minute. A strong marriage is rooted in shared faith. Here's author Melanie Schenkel. Our faith is the center point of our marriage. And honestly, I don't know how marriages survive without it. You know, if you don't know that as you're walking side by side in your marriage, that he's praying and he's trusting God and that I'm praying and I'm trusting God and that we're trying to do the best that we know how to do. And neither one of us are perfect. You know, we we make mistakes and we hurt each other and we disappoint each other. But ultimately, we're both finding the security of who we are is coming from Christ. And we're not looking for the other one to fill every single thing and every single need. And that helps us be a complement to each other to where, you know, his strengths complement my weaknesses and my strengths complement his weaknesses. And then together, you really get that image of that's what God intended marriage to be, where the two become one and you become this this better version of yourself 
in Christ through marriage. Learn more from Melanie Shankel on marriage at myfaithradio.com. Thanks to David Wheaton. I always love talking to David and his uh, wisdom and his passion. And he does a, such a great job. Go to thechristianworldview.org if you want to learn more about David. Maybe pick up one of his books. He's written a fantastic book on the life of his uh, dog, Ben. Incredible book. And also the University of uh, Destruction. If you've got someone that's heading off to college, it's a great book. He'll wanna, you'll want to put that in their backpack as they head to college. Coming up in the next hour, Dr. Mark Musk is going to be uh, with me. And as you know, it's Ask the Professor or Ask Mark, whatever you like. I've already got some questions coming in, which we will address. If you've got a question about the Bible or you've got a question about maybe a theological discussion you had at church or with someone in your neighborhood or at your office and it just didn't turn out the way you wanted because you didn't understand or you didn't know exactly what to say, you can find out now. Let us know what the questions are. You can send a text to 877 877- 933-2484. Again, text only, 877-933-2484. So we'll take a, a short break, and then we'll be back with Dr. Mark Muska. Thanks for listening. Programming like this is made available through your support. Information available at MyFaithRadio.com.